Mark writes, and they, the women, went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Need to remind us all that that's not simply the ending of our text this morning. That truly is the ending of Mark's gospel. The other verses that you might find in your Bibles, the 8th and the 9th through um, 20th, uh, are not found until at least the second century AD. Mark is the first gospel written, most likely in the early 60s to late 60s of uh, the first century. We do not have any other gospel of Mark that truly ends except right here. So think about that. The first gospel written, ending the first telling of the story of the Christ, ends with these women being seized by fear. It's not what you expect on an Easter day. It's not what we expect on any day. The ending of the story is terror. Is that surprising? It surprised me. Uh, I don't know if it really should have surprised them. <laughs> After all, uh, Mark says that they had just encountered an angel. I don't know how many of us have encountered angels. But I think when the scriptures speak about that kind of encountering, they always speak about fear. Always. It's not without accident that the first thing out of the angel's mouth is, fear not, because they are. That's just what we do when we're in the presence of an angel. Now, the scriptures do not tell us much about these angelic beings. Um, they do tell us that they are creatures of God, just like we are creatures of God, but they are not yet made in the image of God. Only you and I have that honor. Only you and I have that privilege. But they are made spirit, nothing but spirit. They share in the very glory of God himself. And when we mere mortals see an angel, we are seeing the very essence of the glory of God, and that inspires fear. It is the most natural response of a mortal human being in any encounter with transcendence. No doubt in my mind that they were terrified, and rightly so. <laughs> but think about this. Not only did they see an angel, but this angel had a message for them about Jesus. Now, these women had come to know and to love Jesus. They really had. Go back into Mark's Gospel, chapter 15. They were the ones who were at the cross. They were the ones who followed him from Galilee. They had known him and come to love him. And therefore, they know that they were to be astonished by him. 
They were constantly being astonished by him. That's just the effect Jesus had on people. And so again, this angelic personage coming down to speak about Jesus um, would indeed invite a remembrance of this overwhelming shock and startling about this man, Jesus. Just remember the story and how Mark tells this story. Uh, in the first chapter, when he first begins his ministry, he enters the synagogue in Capernaum and he teaches. And as he teaches, he exercises a man who was demon-possessed. And the response of the crowd is this, they were all amazed, amazed. And so they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority, right? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Amazement. Or again in the second chapter of Mark, uh, Jesus having healed the paralytic after forgiving his sins, shocking people to say, your sins are forgiven. We read this, that the crowd were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Nobody ever had. We never saw anything like this. Or again in the fourth chapter, uh, Jesus, uh, having calmed the storm uh, that was about to overwhelm this boat that he and his disciples were in, uh, they had been terrified by the storm. Guess what? They became more terrified of him. Uh, Mark says that his disciples were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even wind and sea obey him? Who is this? We thought we knew him. We did not know him like this. Or again, at the end of the gospel, as Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem knowing what was to befall him, Mark says that his disciples were amazed, and the crowd, the, um, the paschal crowd, the pilgrim crowd who followed were afraid. <laughs> you cannot go through any of the gospels and not see that when Jesus appeared, when he interacted with people, he always caused amazement, astonishment, fear. He was a bigger-than-life kind of character. He attracted people to him like a magnet, but he unsettled them constantly, surprising them, disorienting. They were overwhelmed over and over again with his power, with his authority, with his teaching, with his sheer goodness, with his utter determination. Any angelic message about this one would undoubtedly generate amazement again, if not downright terror. And we haven't even got to the message yet. 
Here's the message. The angel says, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. That's what you're doing. You're coming to find a dead body of this guy. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was indeed crucified. You were there. You saw it. He has risen. Past tense. He is not here. Present tense. (laughs) See the place where they have laid him. The angelic messenger, focusing on this overwhelming person, proclaims an unprecedented cosmic changing event, resurrection. It is absolutely unprecedented in human history. And when you get confronted with that which is unprecedented, you are disoriented completely disordered. You have no means of figuring this thing out, comprehending what they're talking about. You are startled by the news that the one you saw crucified has somehow overthrown death. Nobody has overthrown death. But the announcement is this one has. He has risen. He is not here. The forces of death, the forces of sin and evil have somehow been overcome. That's the message that they received that day. So think think about it. On all sorts of levels, there's a supernatural scene with a divine encounter, right? Um, It is indeed a messenger sent to them about this overwhelming person, and it tells them a message of resurrection which is absolutely incomprehensible. The only natural response is this disorientating fear. Something momentous has happened, and we don't understand. fear. That is indeed how the gospel ends. So, what do we do with this? How do you and I respond this day to this sense of fear? Well, I think the place to begin is to make the acknowledgement that not all fear is bad. Not all terror is bad terror. And I'm not talking about those who love horror flicks, right? Uh, I don't understand that person because I am not that person. But some people do, but that's not what we're talking about here. There is a good terror that actually attracts us and transforms us. And that is what I think Mark is talking about here. If you remember the flow of Mark's gospel, it really is a two-part story. The first eight chapters of Mark ask the question, who is this that has burst upon the scene, this Jesus of Nazareth? 
And it ends with Peter's confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the one we have been waiting for, the one that the prophets have been promising to come, the one through whom our God will fulfill his promises to his people to renew his creation. You are that one who has come. You are the Christ. That's what the first eight chapters were all about. Then the last eight chapters, 9 through 16, were all about what does it mean for this one to be the Christ, and Jesus begins to talk about the way of the cross, that this is the way that he must walk and that they must follow him as he walks this. That's the flow of the gospel. And in the very middle part, at the one that ends the first chapter or the first half and begins the second half, is a scene of the transfiguration. And it is purposely placed right there at the pivot point in the gospel itself. And again, you remember the story. Um, we read in Mark that Jesus uh, took three of his disciples, Peter, John, and James, up onto a mountain, and there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to him Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. But again, here's another supernatural scene. It's um, just like the women with the angel at the tomb, these three now are looking at Jesus and seeing him in a whole new way. It's as if the curtain is being pulled back and they're seeing the fullness of his reality. And it is a glorious reality. But it is a terrifying reality. Mark tells us uh, that at the end, Peter basically says, you know, he was babbling on, and then he says, but he did not know what to say. He was finally speechless, for they were terrified. And there again, fear and speechlessness go hand in hand. He is encountering something that terrifies him, but it is so unprecedented he hasn't got the words to express it did not know what to say and how to say it, right? Terrified. And yet, Mark says, he had been babbling, and what he babbled was very interesting. Mark says that as Peter looked on this grand scene, this transfigured Jesus with Elijah and Moses, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. I'm terrified, <laughs> but I am good to be here. <laughs> I am wanting to be here. And he goes, let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He says, I want this to go on. <laughs> I do not want it to end. There is a terror which is good. There is a terror which is terribly good. This is the one who is terribly 
good. So the question comes, how do you and I embrace this terrifying goodness of Jesus? And the answer, as always is, is to heed the instructions of the Scripture. Both these stories, the transfiguration and the resurrection, come with instruction. Remember Peter and James, having seen what they saw, received this explicit instruction from the cloud and the voice that came from the cloud. Mark says that a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. That's who he is. That's who you're seeing. Listen to him. There's the instruction. Listen to him. But this, of course, is what they were struggling to do because as they had confessed the Christ, Jesus began to say the Christ must go to Jerusalem. The Christ must suffer, must be rejected, must be crucified, and then must be raised on the third day. They didn't hear that last part. They only heard the first part, the must go and suffer, be rejected, and be killed. The voice comes saying, if you are to embrace this terribly good thing, you need to listen to him. You need to listen to him as he instructs you to walk in the way of the cross. There's the first instruction. There is a second, and that comes back again to the resurrection appearance. And it says this, the angel said to the women, but go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Angel says, you too now, you go and you tell his disciples and Peters that this one who was crucified and now has risen is going before you. Follow him. He is going before you. That is not just for that moment in time. That is for all moments in time. See, the resurrection is not simply an ending to a story, even though it is an ending to this story. The resurrection truly is a beginning of a new one. It's the ending of the old creation, corrupt as it was, and the renewal of the new creation, the beginning of that new creation. That's what happens at the cross. The Creator Himself gives birth to something new something that will never, ever end. And the angel's message is to those who follow him, go and tell them that he goes before them. He leads them into this new creation, and he will be with them in that new creation. And he will teach them how to live within it. 
That's the instructions that we have received. And if we are going to embrace this one, we need to listen to him as he teaches us. We need to follow him as he leads us into this new creation, which means in the end we have to receive his invitation. Because this only happens by invitation. But that invitation has gone out from the day of resurrection on. In the last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, we find the risen Christ instructing John as to what will happen in the future. And he begins by giving three messages to seven churches in Asia Minor. And the very last church being addressed, he ends with these words. And I want to end this day with these words. These are spoken to us. This is what the risen Christ said. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, the one who conquers their fear of opening that door, the one who conquers the terror of coming into his presence, the one who conquers all of the wiles of the enemy who wants you to ignore this invitation, to push it aside. The one who conquers those fears, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. You will reign with me as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. There's the invitation. And he ends it with these words, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. There's the Easter question. Do you and I, who have heard this proclamation, do we have ears to hear him knocking at the doors of our hearts? And if you do, overcome your fears and open that door. Yes is the first and most basic of prayers. I come to open that door. His promise is he will come through it. Let us pray.
Just respond as you are led. Take a moment.